what we do here is go back, 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 back. back. Welcome, welcome to the Hustle Sold Separately. We are a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing people who tune in every single week. Creators, entrepreneurs, innovators, uh, I like to say out-of-the-box thinkers, uh, probably the misfits, misunderstood, anti-status quo. You guys know the whole drill, but those of you that are newer, uh, I'd love to explain a little bit more about the show. And, um, you know, maybe a lot of you are just trying to pursue your own path, do your own thing. Maybe that's misunderstood. I get you, we get you, my guests get you. Uh, and I always say we don't glamorize or glorify and success. So the guests that come on the show, we talk about the process of becoming, if you will, right? Even if they're in their first venture, their fifth venture, whatever it might be, success is a very arbitrary thing. It's really up to you as in your individual path, whatever your soul is here to do. And, um, and the reason why I say we don't glamorize or glorify in success is because really it's, it's such an individualized thing and there shouldn't be ever any kind of pressure as to what it is should, it should mean for you. So for all of my day one listeners, I appreciate you guys constantly. Thank you for the ratings and the reviews. The 5 million plus downloads are incredible to all the new listeners. I'm so grateful for you to be here. Uh, I'm Matt Gottesman. It's nice to meet you. Uh, and I've been, you know, watching you guys reach out to me and I appreciate that, uh, at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. Uh, if you want to, you know, ask me any questions or get into any of my ventures at HDF magazine, if you want to get in on the, um, the conversation at the intersection of creativity and culture and entrepreneurship at Hustle Sold Separately for the podcast. You guys know I answer each and every single DM, text, reply, response, message, whatever for the last seven years straight. This is about a community. We have grown this community to be very vast. Uh, and I love hearing from you guys. It's a two-way street. So uh, so thank you guys all for being here. And we have another another amazing show. And I, it's, it's something I'm very passionate to talk about. Uh, and because uh, we're going to be talking about creativity and um, serving at our highest good through it. Um, there are people that struggle to understand what their creative outlet could be. There are people that ask me a lot of times um, how they can harness more of their creativity. Uh, you know, there's people talking about, well, what's my purpose? How do I find it? You know, the path to self-discovery, uh, it can be both a fun and frightening one. If you remove the fear part of it and you just allow yourself to be and kind of explore, you'll get, you'll get your hands, you get your signals. And actually more often than not, I also ask you to look back when you were about 12 to 21 before society started to tell you, you should do, you should, 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 should go do other things. Uh, <laughs> um, no, somewhere in you, you know, you already knew long before, um, you know, anything changed you. So we're going to be talking a lot about creativity and we're going to be talking about, um, you know, giving yourself a, a creativity upgrade, um, and how that can be a driver of your success and happiness. Um, you know, some of these creativity myths that are out there and what research actually shows. And I'm bringing on the perfect guest for this, Josh Linkner. He's a world renowned expert on innovation, disruption, and hyper growth leadership. And um, we're going to go on a tear, especially since this is one of my favorite topics. Uh, just to give you some context to his background, started his career as a jazz guitarist and then went on to become the founder and CEO of five tech companies, which sold for a combined value of 200 million. 
And what, what I, what I love though, is like going from music to tech when you guys already know how I feel about that. Uh, and then he also deeply experienced business leader, venture capitalist, top rated keynote speaker, New York times, bestselling author, and still professional jazz guitarist, world renowned expert on innovation. As I mentioned, disruption and hyper growth, uh, delivered over a thousand keynotes to companies and organizations across sectors, including ABC, Heineken, American express, Mercedes Benz, and the U S state department. Um, and then New York times bestselling author, I mentioned five time tech entrepreneur, venture capitalist. Um, his newest book, big little breakthroughs shows how each of us can inject small daily acts of creativity to drive meaningful results in our work, health, family, and community. And it's a mix of inspiring stories, surprising research and practical tools. And the book offers a fresh approach to become more creative in all areas of life. Um, this is something I'm very, very, very passionate about because, uh, some of you guys maybe remember when I mentioned the 5am club and like, what do you do when you come off peak performance or when, when is your peak performance and allowing yourselves to like, to write, to create, even if you don't necessarily know where it's going yet, but you can put those little things into your input, those things into your life daily. So, uh, Josh, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate it. Oh, Matt, it's great to be with you. And I just loved in your, your point in the opening that, you know, we, we're on journeys that are unfolding and, and success is sort of a temporary state. It's not necessarily a destination. So I feel like you and I are going to become fast friends. Uh, I love it. I love it. And it, by the way, it does happen from the podcast. We'll, we'll probably be texting now for like days, months and years. It's actually yeah, it actually happens with a lot of the guests. And it's just it's just fun to have very open, raw conversations about all these things. Um, I mentioned before the show, first question is really the only one that's ever the same, which is really how we got here. Um, you have an incredible background, and I love the fact that you you started off in a creative outlet and you moved into business. And we've talked about this on the podcast before because uh, I had the, the founder of True Religion Jeans that came on and she was saying how creatives can actually go into business and learn business and and create. And, and, you know, impart that business onto their creativity. Sometimes it's a little bit harder the other way around from business to creativity. So I, I just want to get your, your, your background. You can go as far back as you'd like. Sure. Well, I loved what you were saying that you kind of feel like a misfit at times. And <laughs> I kind of feel like there are more people that feel like misfits than fit ins, by the way, which yes. is kind of cool. Um, but I've, I always felt weird. Like I, it wasn't better. It wasn't, you know, at all, probably worse, but you know, there'd be 19 kids in a room and, and I'd, I'd feel like there was 18 of them and one of me. Uh, that, that being said, I just always kind of did my own thing. I, I forged my own path. As mentioned, I started my career as a jazz guitarist. I, I put myself through uh, college playing music and eventually got really excited about business. And, and ironically, there are a lot of parallels between jazz, which is this raw, improv improvised, kind of dangerous type art that's innovating in real time to uh, to the business world. So that was really my best teacher. When I first started my first company, I'd never taken a business class. I didn't know what a profit and loss sheet was. I just figured I'd improvise my way through it. But over the last 30 years, I've started, built and sold five companies and helped about a hundred startups get off the ground. And I'm, I'm deeply passionate about this topic. sounds like you and I share, which is human creativity. And this notion that some of us are creative and others are not, it just drives me nuts. All of us are creative. We can be creative in our own ways, but all of us are, are creative. So today I feel like I'm on this like mission to help everyday people become everyday innovators, which is what the new book is about and what kind of like my whole sense of being is about these days. You know, I, I, I love that you said, um, you know, jazz was a perfect segue into business because you're right. There's a lot of like riffing and um, not necessarily knowing where you're going to take it. And, and, and that I, personally, I think that's the beauty of, of most art is that you're like, I'm going to try this and see where it goes. And then I'll have the signals and the understanding and the ideas of where I'd like to go next with it. And isn't that business in a lot of ways? I mean, isn't that isn't that how we 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 build things? 
Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think that whether people like listening to jazz or not, maybe it's a bit of an acquired taste, but uh, it's it's a perfect metaphor. You know, maybe in the past, the metaphor for business or success was that of a symphony conductor. You know, one person is the CEO standing in the center of the room, not even playing an instrument anymore. And it's just about uh, precision and alignment and getting everybody to play the notes as they're written on the page. But today it's too complicated and too competitive and too advanced. We, we all have to move forward in our lives without all the notes on the page. And we have to kind of figure it out. We, we have to learn to course correct and pivot and adapt and and be agile in real time. So I think the perfect metaphor for today's success is that of a jazz combo, where it's a small group of people and, and the baton of leadership is getting passed back and forth and, and you're building off of each other and you make you take responsible risks and you make mistakes and and, and there's some messiness and, and beauty to it. That to me is a much better metaphor for whether it's in business or other areas of life. Yeah, you know, the part about when, like even when you're talking about a team, when you're all working together and it's like, okay, whose roles are what? Um, you know, why are why why should we have you do that and I'll do this and how do they work together? How are we going to collaborate? You know, how are we going to solve problems together? Uh, you know, how are we going to bring something that maybe we that hasn't necessarily been done before or is being done better as an innovator, being done better than it's been done before? Uh, I like saying just simplifying things. <laughs> how do we make something that already exists simpler? Um, so, you know, for anybody that... I get a lot of people that contact me about this, and I love I'd, I'd love your take. Um, they're they sometimes feel a little stuck, like as if they're not exactly sure. Okay, I've got some things in my heart, and it's in my soul, like I can feel it, but they're a little stuck in terms of that first step, right? And and I know you talk a lot about the anatomy of an idea, and what does it look like? How do we how do we um, understand it? How do we adapt? How do we build better ones? I would love for you to go, you know, a little bit on a tear on that. Yeah, well, you're, you're right. A lot of times people feel stuck. And and the, the thing is this, there are so many blockers and misconceptions about creativity and innovation. You know, one thing is people think it's got to be a billion dollar idea or right. change the world or it doesn't count. And so to, to, when the stakes are that high, it's so easy to gravitate towards standing still because it's, it just feels too risky or out of reach. And another thing that we hear all the time is that people think like some folks are creative and others are not, as if one out of a thousand of us are born special and the rest of us have to suffer. Again, the research is crystal clear the opposite is true, that all human beings are, are sort of hardwired to be creative, but, but many of us don't feel that way. And furthermore, you're right. How do you take that first step? And if the first step feels like you're you know, jumping off a cliff, who wants to do that? So what I try to do in the book is, is, is demystify the creative process and, and, and flip it upside down. Big little breakthroughs. The whole notion is taking small daily creative acts instead of swinging for the fences. And here's what happens. First of all, if you do teeny little micro innovations on a daily basis, number one, they're way less risky. Number two, they're totally within the grasp of all of us, regardless of role or background or position. You know, number three, they're they're accessible, so they're, they're they don't cost a billion dollars. You know, it's uh, also if you add up the wins from these little ideas, they add up to great stuff. And on top of that, that's how you build skill. Yes. Like when I was learning to play guitar, I could have a fabulous guitar lesson, but if I didn't practice every day, I, I would, wouldn't build a skill. So when you think about these big little breakthroughs as, as, as daily, easy, riffing on stuff, not, not risky, and you're going to add up to big things and build your skill set at the same time, then that first step seems so much more palatable. You know, when I was in my 20s, um, I, yeah, like in my first tech startup, um, that my thinking was, oh, it's going to be a billion dollar company and it's going to be all this and all that pressure. And, and uh, <laughs> clearly it didn't make it that way. Um, and then, you know, so I'm 41 now and going back about seven, eight years ago, harnessing um, the, the micro, uh, you know, the micro steps uh, in creativity. It was just a very, very big game changer. And I used to always hear people say, oh, you know, embrace the process, embrace the process. You know, you hear cliches until you actually become them. <laughs> and then you start to realize like, 
you know, like you were mentioning, um, they're accessible, they're way less risky. It's how you build skill. The process is actually a very beautiful thing because you're honoring your craft and you're, you're removing a lot of pressure from where you think you have to be. And you're actually like in the details, really, it's almost very meditative in a lot of ways because you're, you're just kind of, you're in the work and you're embodying it and you're figuring it out. It's like a nice, cool puzzle. And I would say like, it's interesting to have, look, I've got this brick, you know, I know Will Smith was talking about building brick by brick, but when you really look at each brick that you're, you're, when you're in there, just understanding what all is going into it and having fun with it and be like, before I enter into this next brick, is there anything else that I need to know? And what got me here won't get me there. So let me now, you know, cultivate an understanding of exactly what just happened so I can then as you know as I move into the next uh, brick I can just honor it and I think that just the process has become such a beautiful thing I just I noticed that all the pressure seems to just go away when you're when you're in the process itself do you, do you find that I, I totally do. And and obviously, you know, you're talking about first steps can, can be the hardest, but first of all, take a teeny step and then just get comfortable. And, and all of a sudden it just becomes natural. I mean, really it's a nat it's our natural state of being to, to apply creativity to our daily lives. It's, it's unnatural to, to, to withhold it. So once we kind of get some practice and, and, and are able to dissipate some of the fear, it really becomes a very comfortable kind of thing. You know, the other thing I just love pointing out. So to me, I look, I don't like uh, I don't dislike Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg. I celebrate them. They're awesome. But but why th- why does that the face of innovation? I love celebrating much more, though, like the person you never heard of that's doing yes. some really cool, creative thing. Yes. And, and it, I'll just give you a quick example. I think it just kind of exemplifies what 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 a big little breakthrough is. So let, let's take a trip. You and me we will go we'll head over to London. So imagine you and I are walking down the streets of London and you look up at the beautiful architecture and you see the hustle and bustle of the crowds and and you're marveling at all the beauty. And then you look down at the street and you see cigarette butts. And so it turns out cigarette butts are the single biggest litter problem in central London. And not only is it unsightly, it's 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 bad for the environment. It's bad for animals and small children that could ingest them. It t- costs a bunch of money to clean up and it doesn't work. So they've tried all these things like to shame people into compliance, put your cigarettes in the right place and like nothing works. So enter a non-traditional everyday innovator, guy just like you and me. He's not a superstar. He's not on covers of a magazine. He's not a billionaire. His name is Trowan Resterick. So Trowan is someone I interviewed for the book and Trowan, he like, he struggled in college and he barely got through and then he took a normal job and he was just trying to pay the bills like everybody. But, but he, he had something in his heart. He was really kind of drawn to helping the environment and he learned about this litter problem in London. So he decided to solve it with a big little breakthrough. He invented something called the ballot bin. So this is like this, uh, it's made out of steel. It, it sits mounted like on a post or a fence at eye level. It's painted bright yellow. There's a glass front with a divider down the middle. So there's two little columns in the front. And it asks at the top a question, a two-part question, like which is your favorite food, pizza or hamburgers? And there's a little teeny cigarette receptacle for people to vote with their butts. So, you know, instead of distinguishing your cigarette on the ground, you're like, oh, I prefer pizza. You toss it in a little slot and you instantly see a tally. It's almost like a bar graph where, where other cigarette butts have stacked up to see which which of these two items is in the lead. So it was low tech. It wasn't expensive. You or I could have thought of this idea or anyone listening today. But here's what happened. It reduced cigarette litter by 80 percent. And it, this thing is now in 27 countries. It's this totally cool, successful thing. But but to me, that's what big little breakthroughs are all about. It's the, the notion that all of us can be creative in our own ways. And it doesn't take, you know, Elon Musk billions to, to be a creator. No, I love that. You know, um, that was the basis of forming HDF seven years ago. And this podcast, um, because and I said, we don't glamorize or glorify in success because, you know, Forbes, um, Forbes was kind of the 
hey, uh, this person sold for 50 million, 100 million, let's celebrate them. And my, my core was, why are they the only ones that get celebrated? And if you watch people who are innovative or just being creative or within their art or within their, their context of something that they're building, why aren't we celebrating more of them? And that was how HDF was, was born. I'm like, these are people you should know about. Watch them. And it made it a little bit more accessible and less of a, this is how, you, how things should be. So if like you saw, you know, Tuft and Needle, I mean, I, I became friends with them and they were like 3 million in revenue and sleeping on the ground and had no money. <laughs> you know? and they were like, and, but they were like tech guys who were like, I think I'm going to disrupt the mattress because I don't like it, you know? And, um, and, but nobody had heard of them really at that point, even though they were doing some sales. And it's like, it shows to somebody else, you know, I don't really want to go into mattresses, but I like those guys. Like, it's kind of cool how they were, you know, they're, they're trying to like show you how it's made and how it, you've been taken, <laughs> you know, but, but more importantly, like how to make it better. And, um, and that rallied, you know, to eventually a $350 million acquisition years later. But the point being is that like in the beginning, nobody really heard of them. And it's like, why, why do we have to wait until they get to a certain level to celebrate their innovation and technology of what they were rebuilding? So, um, so I, I love that, that point that you bring up. Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, you're, you're so, so spot on there. And to me, you know, the, the superpower, the through line in Tuft and Needle and other cases like that is people taking, having a little bit of creative courage to do things a bit differently. You know, it's funny for some reason, you know, I guess in nature, animals flock together and that's really safe, but, but in business and most of life, that's a terrible trap. You don't want to blend in. You want to stand out. I just read, and I just like love celebrating these, you know, everyday innovators. I, I just read a piece like two days ago uh, about this guy who runs a Chinese restaurant in Montreal. So apparently there's like 65,000 Chinese restaurants in North America and they all kind of look and act the same way. And by the way, you're, you probably see all this puffery, like the world's best egg roll or like New York City's <laughs> best egg foo young or whatever. And they're very boastful and there's all this puffery. So this guy in, in, in Montreal, he's got it printed on his menu next to every dish. It says owner's comments. And he has these hilarious, brutally honest notes that he shares with his guests. Like, like you, I don't really like this dish that much. You'd prefer getting the, this other one. Or this one is a little soggy and it's got too much salt. Or you th might think it's this is authentic, but I've been to China and this isn't authentic at all. Or this one gets soggy, so don't 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 get it for carryout. Only eat it for dining. And so he's like self-deprecating and does the exact opposite of being boastful. He, he's creative, like tough the needle. He's sort of poking fun at how other people in the industry are. And as a result, first of all, you and I are talking about this one restaurant in Montreal right now. But he's like wildly successful, and it's all because he did things differently. He added some creativity to to bust through the competitive set. I love that as well. So my question to you on that especially is what part does humility play into creativity? Because when you're really having fun with yourself and your brand and you're really open to that customer experience of like, hey, what do you think about this? Like truly, like I, I actually want to know. And you humble yourself down and, and, and really get into the details, the mastery of your work. But I mean, when I say mastery, more is just like understanding of what it, how it relates to the people you serve. Um, you get to have a lot more fun, actually. And it, I think it takes a lot of humility. I say humility is a superpower <laughs> because then you're not, you're not thinking too much. You're really in the act of service for the thing that you're creating and you're having fun with it. And just like in that Chinese restaurant, <laughs> like how, what do you think about the, the part that humility plays? 
I, I think humility plays a huge role in success in all types, certainly in creativity. Because if you have arrogance, then you sort of feel like you you only know the way things are and you yes. have to be right. And you're unwilling to try something new because you're trying to protect your fragile ego. And and it just is a complete restrictive force to, to creativity. Whereas somebody who's who has humility is willing to consider other voices and options. And they're willing to think that, hey, instead of the way things are, maybe I should think about the way it, what's possible. And so I think humility can be a wildly an accelerant really in creativity. Furthermore, since we're on the topic. So I've invested in, you know, about a hundred startups and I've actually sat through about 3000 entrepreneurial pitches, people pitching for, for, mm-hmm. for investment. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny what I, my experience anyway, the, the entrepreneurs that are the most successful are the opposite of what you might guess. You probably think <laughs> yep. it's like, Oh, Steve jobs are larger than life and full of charisma and like this confidence, you know, and arrogance. Um, the best ones are not that way at all. Generally True. they're open-minded and they're coachable and they have humility. And they're, 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 they don't need every ounce of sunlight because they have the confidence to give other people the credit where it's due. And, and they, they think about elevating the collective instead of their own position. And so I think humility drives not only creativity, but success in nearly every area of life. No, very, very true. I, I've, I've sat on, on a number of pitches and, and on a, a few boards for that. And it's always, it's fascinating for me, their character. And I, and I really do get about why it's about investing in people. But when you see the way that their mind thinks, and like you said, elevating the, the collective, um, they're, they're just, they're really in their thing. And they're and they're and they're messing with them like, hey, here's what we found, and here's what we see, and here's where it can go, and and this is you know, um, versus just like the pitch of I'm I'm pitching to pitch because you know, and and the market shows this, and the market shows that, versus the guys that are like, you know, and gals that are like, well, we we tested this, and here's what we found, and this is the the feedback, and this is where we went with it, and and this is how we're putting it together, and then and here are all the people that are uh, that the customers that we we brought on, like they're just it's just a different vibe and they don't always know what they're doing and they can state that they don't always know that they're doing to your point about the the, the humbleness and humility like we don't really know what we're doing but it's growing we need help <laughs> you know and you're like i like you you know thank you for being so like real and honest like yeah this is where we're at and and uh, and here's and here's exactly what we know what we would do with that kind of help because we don't know how to handle these exact problems because we've been so involved in what we're trying to create yeah, that is that is so true. And and furthermore, if you want to be a real creative force, it's not only about you. It's there, there's real power in 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 the collective. So back to playing jazz. Uh, there, there's really this kind of co-creation process that happens. So let's say, for example, I play a little something on guitar that I just made up and and it was great, but maybe the bass player hears it and like, oh, that's kind of cool. Maybe I could build on that. Mm. And then the drummer builds on that with a little bit of added, added some new rhythm. And then the saxophone player takes that, wails a fantastic solo to a standing ovation. Well, who's who created it? What was it? The saxophone player? Was it all of us? And, and to me, that's the real right. beauty of creativity is, is when you kind of riff off of each other and that one idea grow into the next, into the next. And so back to humility, that only happens if you have artistic humility. In other words, if you think my idea is right, don't mess with it. I'm perfect. And you're not, you know, no one else is going to take your idea and run with it. And you shut down that co-creative process. Yeah, it's it's so so spot on. I mean, uh, very early in my career, I was a, a consultant in digital, and so you can imagine coming up because I'm 41 now. So you can imagine coming up digital while it's constantly evolving from Napster to TikTok and everything in between. I would I would be working with these massive brands, um, and there were a couple of times where um, there was no humility in, in necessarily in the organization. Uh, most had it though, but it was just very. Um, it, it was very interesting to see they couldn't understand collaboration and, and the collective. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, you know, they, they were worrying more and more about their job and, you know, losing it. And then I was like, no, 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 like you can do this and you can do that. And then we've got these people that are going to come in here and they're going to help here. Like you can have all the credit. But what, because what I found, you know, is just that, especially in the digital and growing up digital and growing up internet, 
um, I'll sit next to a designer, a UI UX designer, and be like, hey, let me show you like how um, space works with, uh, with um, color schematics and design and, and all that. I'm like, great. And they're like, hey, well, you're copy, you'll do copy and branding and marketing languages. Here's how that's gonna like look on this. And could you imagine if on the back end, it's set up in a certain way so you have um, you know, all your systems and, and operations and, you know, and processes already built out. Here's how the entire thing will go. Me alone could never do it. But like all of a sudden you sit next to these people and they're like, oh, I love like what you're, what you're, how you're writing that. I'm like, great. They're like, can I, can I make a visual for it? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And then they're like, great. You know how you can set it up like this. And then this is how it'll great, create a better user experience. I'm like, this is perfect. You cannot, you know, no man is an island. End of story. No man is an island. So, um, you know, I, I find that um, as a solo artist, there's only so much we can achieve. We are, we are, I believe we are born for partnership and uh, co-creativity. Yeah, totally. The other thing too, like think about a traditional commerce. So, so if I if if I sell you a cup of coffee for five bucks, you know, now I have five bucks. So you don't have your five bucks. You have my coffee, so I don't have my coffee. So it's sort of a zero sum game. We both exchanged value. Mm-hmm. But let's say I give you an idea. Well, I still have the idea. Now you have the idea. It was net positive. So that that's we both benefit. But then if you're doing it together, so I give you an idea and you build on it and give it back to me and we, we kind of trade back and yes. forth. At the end of it, we both walk away actually better. We're both elevated. So it doesn't have to be around scarcity it's rather around abundance and, yes. and if you kind of build off of each other's idea there's no loser in that equation everybody wins do you you know do you find often people stuck uh in the the scarcity model i i found it more in um you know in some of the as i call it on one of my posts recently the old paradigm of thinking because you know i've been experiencing the new paradigm for many years um and I, that's ultimately where i feel like we're heading um just the, the scarcity mindset of like somebody wins somebody loses and i'm like no actually if you statistically speaking and even in the conscious capitalism movement they actually sh- like showed companies that are um, operating into the capacity that you're talking about higher retention um, of customers higher retention of their workforce higher productivity higher profitability um, lower waste <laughs> you, know what I mean? um, you know higher efficiency uh, all around and um, I it's interesting to me that sometimes that seems like a, a hard concept when I've talked to some CEOs most CEOs get it but I, I, there's been some that are like well, you know, there's, this is just the way it was. And I'm like, yeah, but the way it could be actually, I, I found that I had to almost appeal to them from a profit standpoint. Like you realize you can actually make even more by doing the right thing. Right. And <laughs> you know, and sometimes it seems like it's a foreign concept, but it's because of that scarcity mindset that you're talking about, like that somebody has to win and somebody has to lose. So true. And furthermore, I think creativity is a great place to break the, the tyranny of, or like I can either be a nice boss, or I can be a profitable boss. And so if you've got these either or situations yes. where we often find ourselves in, let's use creativity to make it an and, you know, why isn't there a way that you could be compassionate and successful? Why isn't there a way that you could be kind and generous and have empathy and drive the bottom line? And, and a lot of times those, those ors dissipate. We can, we can get through the ors and make them an and by taking more creative approaches. And, and the beautiful thing is just that we all have this gift. I mean, I just keep getting back to this for me. I just wake up every day thinking, okay, there's millions of people walking around and the research again is so clear. Uh, walking around with dormant creative capacity, me included, like all of us have this, you know, at least some dormant capacity. And when we bring it to the surface, it's such a high 
leverage up uh, uh, activity because a 2% boost in creativity might yield a 100% boost in your net income or your results or your impact or whatever the important thing to you. And so if, if we can unlock people's dormant creative capacity and they can put it toward the things that matter most in their lives, whether it's family or community or environment or friends or business, like, man, the world's just a better place. And that's just so cool being able to chat with you today is, is being able to share that principle and, and hopefully people uh, take, take the ride. You're 100% on the and, higher emotional intelligence and a higher sense of self and creating that space for the person on the other end that is a either a colleague or in this case, you know, one of your employees. Say, listen, like, here's what I'm at and here's what my, you know, I'm very clear, I'm very directional uh, um, and I know what my vision is. I'm cultivating you. I want this environment to be safe and free. You can make mistakes. I want you to make mistakes. More importantly, I want you to communicate what you either need or want or are learning all in the process. This environment is safe because nobody is perfect. If you don't communicate, then we can't row this boat together. And that's what I'm trying to do. And in that freedom, there's responsibility and accountability. So I'm expecting you to show up every day as your best self, not perfect, but as your best self, and this is the environment for you to thrive. And I feel like when you start showing that level of compassion and respect, but accountability, you're not enabling them, you're empowering them. And then they're able to really feel like, oh wow, like, you know, I can, I can experiment, I can discover, I can, I can ask questions, you know, and, and when I see the rigidity in some uh, uh, bigger companies, I feel bad. I feel bad for them because I'm like, do you realize, to your exact point, like uh, you can get a, a 2% increase just from that emotional intelligence and those, those conversations that could be had that would easily net you, you know, 100% more profit just from, just even from the mental wellness of a potential person that, that's in your environment. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's, it's in, insane to think that they wouldn't do that. So true. You know, think about this. So often leaders hire these amazing, talented, smart, creative people, and then they never let them use any of those skills. They just tell them to follow the rules. And that's such a shame. I mean, if you think about what's a leader's primary responsibility, I would argue that it's to create conditions that that liberate the full capacity of those that, that they serve. And I say serve because even though you might be the, the boss, hopefully you're a servant leader. Yes. And so I, I often think about a greenhouse. So a greenhouse, I'm not a gardener, by the way, but, but you think about a greenhouse, you know, like ideal conditions of light and soil and humidity and all these conditions such that these plants that you're growing can, can grow optimally and can, can reach their full potential. And so why isn't that our primary job as a leader is to create like a greenhouse. And, and, and if you think that a critical thing is to, to liberate the creativity of everyone on your team, what well, you can't put them in a, in a, in a fluorescent lit room and give them staunch rules and, and, and breed fear and indignance and, and, and then wonder why people aren't blossoming with creativity. So I think it's really part of our job as leaders to create a greenhouse where it's safe and comfortable and all ideas are celebrated and people are allowed to, you know, take responsible risk and stuff when the conditions are right creativity will flourish true i mean the when you see people lead with scarcity mindset or fear um i all i all i see is wow like you're losing more than you're winning as a leader doing that like you realize like and i've watched um in certain environments i'm like do you know how talented that kid is over there you know, and it, it's almost like I'll go and then interact because I was again I was always an independent consultant, but it was like I would then work with them, and I, I was like, man, like you got this, you got that. Watching them how they code or watching how they like they just do certain things, whatever it might be for the for the company. And I'm like, why don't you bring this up more? And they're like, it's uh, like I can't, you know. And I would think, and, and again, this is only it was only a rare couple instances because it just I, I lucked out that way. Um, but it was interesting to watch environments that in in induce fear or just or just don't make it safe 
for um, expression and expansion and all these things. It's just fascinating to watch how like missing out that they really are on. And and, um, and of course, to your point, because it starts at the it start. In my opinion, it starts at the top. And servant leadership is I'm self aware. I I know that I don't know everything. <laughs> I know what I don't know, <laughs> which is a lot. And I'm constantly learning. And I have to constantly evolve. And in my evolution, I have to be very, very, very honest about myself, with myself, and with others. And in doing so, you know, create a, a space for, um, you know, uh, others to feel like, yeah, I can I can trust you, um, because your actions show that I can trust you and I can trust myself with you and I can therefore like do the kind of work and be the kind of person that I, that I know I can be. And then of course, if they can't over time, like, you know, <laughs> you know, there's still that, as, as you're saying, like you can do the, instead of the, or the and statement, like, Hey, we are also trying to do this. And if you truly, truly have a hard time showing up, you know, you're going to have to, you have to understand that that's also your accountability and that will lead ultimately to the things that do happen in your life. Yeah. And by the way, you know, so it's one thing to have that mindset. The other thing is then, then if as a leader, how, like, what, what do you, how can you tactically create the, this, this environment? Um, I'm a big fan of rituals and rewards. I mean, personally also, but, but in a business setting, you know, here's an example, a company that I work with, they issue every team member two corporate get out of jail free cards every year. And here's what they say. They say, listen, every person's job title is includes being a creator. Everybody in our company is an innovator. Part of your gig is to take responsible risks and yes. to come up with new ideas. And if we're going to accept that we need want good ideas, we're going to have to tolerate some bad ones. There's no <laughs> such thing as, 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 as perfection without scraping up your knees here. So go out on a limb, let your hair down, be creative. And if you screw something up, hand us one of these cards, you're off the hook, no questions asked. And in fact, on the annual reviews, a team leader will be disappointed with a team member if they haven't used both of them. So it's basically what they're doing is they've created a ritual and reward to support the desired outcome of encouraging people to be creative and take responsible risks. It's it, I, it's interesting um, how sometimes uh, quote unquote failure is understood, you know, with, with the things that don't work out. And I, I call them signals and uh, in a couple of different environments uh, where some of the employees asked and they said, what do you, what do you mean uh, signals? And I was like, well, uh, like, think about this. If, if you were to like be walking on the street and all of a sudden um, you, you didn't have your shoelaces tied and you tripped, like, yeah. And I'm like, I mean, you get back up and you just keep walking, but you would tie your shoes and then you would make sure that from now on you're going to just tie your shoes. Or like, yeah, I'm like, life is kind of like that. And so is business. Like you, <laughs> nothing is perfect, but when something doesn't go the way that you want to, all it is really just a signal of how would you do something differently the next time to potentially avoid that and to expand on what did you learn from that? So you can maybe innovate forward a different, you know, approach, if you will. And I'm like, huh? And I'm like, you have to remove this pressure that you think that failure makes you look some certain way in the eyes of other people and just take, take, you know, be accountable for the things that when they happen, they happen. Maybe sit with it just for even a second so you can actually have a better understanding of why it happened and what you could do differently. And that's it. And then you move, you move, you move, you move, you move, you move. You're not staying in stuck energy on something that really isn't there other than to just it's for you to teach you something as you move forward. But I feel like failure sometimes is it, people get really stuck in that mindset of this is horrible. I'm out of the game. I'll never do it again. <laughs> and you're like, well, no, I mean, that's, you know, um, that's, that's how you build on the, on your, on your mastery. Completely. And, and the thing is, it's, it's often misunderstood because we, we've been taught as kids yes. that failure is a four letter word and mistakes are fatal as opposed to, Hey, that's part of the process. 
Um, so in the book, actually, so I, I did about a thousand hours of research and interviews. So I interviewed people all over the globe from people you've never heard of, like Tro and Resterick in London, but but I interviewed CEOs and billionaires and celebrity entrepreneurs and, and all kinds of fascinating people. And what I, what I ended up discovering is there, there's sort of these eight core mindsets that everyday innovators tend to embrace. And so I cover them all in the book and they've got kinds of fun names, but one of them is called a fall seven times stand eight which the phrase itself is borrowed from a Zen proverb, but it's essentially that it's understanding the role that failure plays in the creative process. And it's funny. So one of the folks we talked to is um, this guy, he runs a, a museum in, in Sweden called the museum of failure. And it, <laughs> it's awesome. it celebrates the, again, the important role that failure plays. He's got some hysterically funny things. One uh, of my favorites, uh, he's got the Euro club, the Euro club, which is a, for the golfer that simply can't hold it for nine holes. So it's like a, a plastic urinal disguised, <laughs> disguised as a golf club. You can, fits conveniently in your golf bag. It comes with like a little privacy towel. Uh -huh. And and like, as, and by the way, as, as a, as a uh, surprise to no one other than its inventor, it was not a commercial success. <laughs> so we hear stuff like that. If you and I walked through the museum of failure, we'd laugh and, and we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't judge that person. Like, Oh, it's a no. horrible human being. We we'd chuckle and we'd have compassion. Let's give ourselves that same permission. Let's give ourselves that same compassion. Let's understand that mistakes are part of the process. And look, I'm not saying all Pollyanna hug your failures. Right. Failure sucks. It's not fun, but let's learn from it. Let's grow from it and recognize that if we want great breakthroughs, we're going to have to scrape up our knees along the way. I, I like that in a way that museum is really celebrating, um, uh, celebrating those that tried <laughs> and then it didn't uh, clearly make it to be commercial success. But, um, but it's, I, I, you know, I find it so interesting when um, even like with things like that, with, with the, the, the golf club for, you know, as a urinal, um, you're just watching someone's mind at work, you know, now clearly, you know, there's uh, other steps that, you know, take place. Okay. Next time I might just actually go out and interview maybe a few hundred uh, golfers to see, <laughs> see if this would ever actually do anything, which is, that's how you learn. But it's always interesting to see how, like how people solve, problems right and so um you know that to your point of not not judgment not no judging why would i judge because i'm like well you're out there actually trying to solve a problem you know good for you would you learn about <laughs> would you learn about something that didn't necessarily become a creative uh, uh or not a creative a commercial success um which probably he learned oh there may not have been a market for it but at least i'm solving a problem yeah it's so true and you know what i learned by studying all these innovative people is that you know, they're, they're with with some pretty simple mindset shifts, which are not dramatic. They don't take years of study or practice and some techniques. You can really unlock this capacity. I mean, think about if you had an oil well in your backyard and you tried to dig it with with a plastic shovel, like <laughs> you're probably not going to get a lot of oil. But if you had, you know, commercial drilling equipment, you, you'd be great. And so if we have that same reserve, that, 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 that resource inside of us, let's use the best equipment to get it out. Let's use the best approach. And that's what I try to share in the book. A couple of the other ones, just what we're talking about. And one, one of them is uh, use every drop of toothpaste which is around being resourceful and using ingenuity and being scrappy. Uh, it's funny if you think about the amount of resources, you know, often I hear, oh, I want to be creative, but I lack fill in the blank. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't have talent. I don't have enough raw materials, whatever degrees. And, and so it, it, this flips it around saying, okay, yeah, let's, let's focus on the resources that we do have and figuring out creative path, paths to get there. Another one of them is start before you're ready, which is uh, not waiting for directive or permission or until your plan is perfect. It's just go, getting after it. It's, it's sort of, you, you don't wait, you just get going. And then you recognize full well that you're going to have to figure it out as you go. You're going to have to find a way as, as you're 
slugging through the forest. Um, but but one other one, just what we're talking about, is called Don't Forget the Dinner Mint. This is a super practical one for, for listeners. Um, so the idea behind Don't Forget the Dinner Mint is this. Matt, I'm sure you've been to a nice restaurant. At the end, you know, you're presented, hey, try this little truffle or whatever. And it's not that it, it would have been, it would have been good anyway, but it's remarkable because you didn't expect it. Yes. There's a little surprise and delight, that little something extra. And it was probably less than the 5% of the overall cost of the meal, but it, it changed the entire equation for you. So don't forget the dinner mint is a really practical approach to say, okay, before you ship a piece of work, whether it's a podcast interview or an email or a project or a sales pitch or whatever your work looks like, writing code, et cetera, say, okay, can I plus it up? Is there a little extra something? Could I add no more than 5% extra to make it otherworldly, to make it transcendent? And we see story after story of great success driven by just that principle. Just since we're jamming on it, like there's this um, in, in New York City, a woman named Melissa Tabs, and she she came from like the old country and her family was in the ice cream business. So she gets to New York and she wants to be in the ice cream business. But how do you possibly compete selling a commodity? Like no one wants another bowl of vanilla ice cream. So she says, okay, what's the dinner mint that I could add? And so she created her ice cream brand, which is called Tipsy Scoop Boozy Ice Cream. It's booze infused ice cream. So there's like chocolate salt salted caramel whiskey chalk choc- uh, chocolate ice cream and there's lab- raspberry limoncello and there's cake batter vodka martini and and the actual amount of vodka or, or that you know alcohol that they're putting in the ice cream is negligible but that little extra twist that little extra dose that little dinner mint that she's adding totally changed the game for her she has two wildly successful retail locations she ships her ice cream all, all 50 states she has a cookbook she has an instagram she does corporate catering she's got this booming business selling a commodity with one little extra creative twist so i think for all of us whether it's business or personal you can say like okay what's the dinner mint? what could i add one little extra something to, to to make myself really stand out from everybody else incredible first of all i thought it was just me that uses every scrap of toothpaste even now more than ever i just always do <laughs> no but uh um a couple of really quick key points on um, the start before you're ready is i think one of the most vital things people ask all the time like you know how do you you know how do you know and how do you this and and, and i i did a video post on my wall uh a couple months back and i'm like none of us know i'm like i, I don't I'm like what do you mean i'm like y- you have to just um run with it. You have to just put it out there, play with it, get signals from the, you know, that tell you what to do next, you know, play with it, you know, and, and have, uh, uh, people interact with what it is that you're doing. You're never ready, ready. That's the whole point. In fact, the only thing that gets you ready is being out there doing it. Um, and then the other part, that dinner mint example is so key. The details, the details, the details. Um, you know, I, I found that, um, and I was, uh, somebody had asked me about for like, so for the podcast, right? Like you'll get, um, the, the promo materials and the links and everything all like next week before, uh, as this is launching. And I actually sit down and I actually create all the graphics and all the designs, either me or uh, a team. That's something I still do because I, I'm connected to you. Um, I, I have a team that could do it, but there's certain elements I still like to really do because it stays connected to you and in honoring you as a guest. And I, and I do it. And somebody asked me the other day, they said, well, what if they, you know, they don't promote it? I'm like, it doesn't matter. I'm creating something for them that they can be proud of. Um, and that, you know, and plus I get a lot of guests that are also very humble <laughs> or shy sometimes, you know, believe it or not. Um, but that ditterment, you know, and I, and a great story that I heard a, a guest on the podcast was talking about how this one gentleman, um, he wanted to rethink uh, an app in New York City for um, uh, for food <clears throat> and food delivery. And um, he had some ideas, but talk about the details. So what he did is he went to restaurant A 
and said, hey, um, here's what I was thinking about doing. And he had it like kind of all drawn out on a, on a page, like he was wireframing on a page. He said, here's what I was thinking about doing. Um, what do you think about this? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, you missed like the one thing that like we all really need. And he goes, what's that? And uh, the person, you know, gives him the details. He goes, oh, okay, great. Goes out to the curb, sits and draws it in goes to restaurant B and says, Hey, I've got this concept and here's everything. And then, you know, restaurant B says, Oh, it's great that you include that one thing. Yeah. Like we all, we all really need that. And he's like, Oh, you could probably maybe remove this and this. Cause we don't really, you know, that's not something that actually comes up all that much. And he goes, Oh, okay. Goes out to the curbside. <laughs> this is a true story. goes out to the curbside, erases out the things that, you know, um, may not be needed, you know, and he's, he's basically trying to validate along the way with each restaurant does this for about, I think 10 different restaurants, then goes back to the beginning with the final concept and goes all the way through it again. They're like, and they all were collectively like, yeah, yeah, actually that that's it that, you know, and, and you, and they all made notice of the one thing that was the most important that he included, which was the dinnerman. And then he, he launched the app and, and instantly already had customers for it. These restaurants as a B2B platform. <laughs> and then he was able to like build from there. So you got the humility, you've got the extra details in the, in the, um, uh, and the dinner mint, he wasn't fully ready, but he went straight to market and he started actually like drafting this thing out on the curbside as he got the in-person feedback. And I just thought it was just a great way to to kind of tie all your, what you were saying together. It's so cool. And by the way, it touches on two other mindsets that I cover. One of them is um, is is called open a test kitchen, which is a mindset of experimentation. One good way to de-risk the innovator innovation processes, you know, most of us think have an idea, launch it, bet your whole company, bet your career, <laughs> you know, grit your teeth and hope it works. That's not what innovators do. I innovators run constant, small little prototypes. They're getting market feedback, they're testing, they're tweaking, adapting. And so as they move ideas down, down the path, they've de-risked them already before going wide. And so that's exactly what your guy did. He got, he got, he got feedback from each of these different restaurants. And so by the time it launched, he'd already sort of de-risked the process because he essentially had this experimentation or test kitchen mindset. The other interesting one is, is, a is another principle called fall in love with the problem. And, and the notion is too often we get caught up in the solution. So if your guy said, hey, I've got the perfect idea for a restaurant app, and he just became tunnel visioned on it. This is the solution. I'm, right. I'm not backing away from it. Your guy instead said, I'm going to fall in love with the problem. My, I'm going to find a way to, to solve the problem that these restaurant owners are having. And he probably didn't care so much how he was going to solve it. He wasn't steadfast and you know tunnel visioned on the one way to solve it. He took feedback from others, back to your humility. And because he fell in love with the problem, not the particular solution, he remained open-minded enough to adapt it ultimately to launch something that was, was ideal in solving the problem that he pursued. And I feel like that's where creativity gets really fun because I've had some people say like, oh, you know, we, we want thousands of customers. I'm like, first of all, are you aware that um, there's usually anywhere from a three to 5% like return rate? Are you even ready and set up for that? And like, oh, I'm like, listen, I was like, if you just focus on the person that you are serving in front of you right now and really try to understand what it is that there are needs, and you'll also find that you probably can serve using a lot less than what you're thinking in your mind they all need. Um, now you're helping them directly. And they're like, yeah. And I was like, and then they can, you can give them a direct benefit or a result. And from that, there's probably other people just like them. One becomes three, three becomes 10, 10 becomes 30, 40, 50, 100. And now you're learning along the way. And how am I helping this person solve their problem? And as I grow in popularity, how am I going to meet capacity to handle it? I was like, and that's really your two balances. I'm here to serve and I'm solving the problem. And now as I want to solve more in the same amount of time, I'm going to probably have to use some form of approach, technology, leverage, systems, <laughs> and processes to do that. And what are you doing? You're solving their problem and you're solving your problem. What is your problem? Your, your problem is that 
um, your ability to uh, maximize serving more people. Pretty much. That's a beautiful way to say it. I mean, truly, I, I like the notion of Sherpas, which are people that lead others up the mountain. And funny thing is the person who's been to the top of Mount Everest the most isn't some fancy climber. It's a Sherpa. <laughs> yeah. so, so when you when you help other people up, up, up the mountain, you get the joy and satisfaction and intrinsic value of helping them. And by the way, you get to get to the top of the mountain, too. I mean, how cool is that? Oh, amen. That's true. Well, you know, people would say it's lonely on top of Mike. So take everybody with you that needs to go. <laughs> you know? So um, absolutely. Right. You know, one of the things I just know about, you know, learning about you and, and your show and such is that I know you're very you know, practical stuff that people can take away. You know, one, one simple technique or way to th think about stuff when you're, when you're taking on a problem, big or small, trying to trying to seize an opportunity is I call it the judo flip. The judo flip. So it's basically when you're when you're going after something before you you just you know choose the obvious choice and go sort of make a list. Okay, what what did what what would you have ordinarily done? What's conventional wisdom? What do more, most people in this particular industry or situation do? And then you can either on a page or in your mind draw sort of a mental line down the middle of the page, and then ask yourself what's the polar opposite approach for each of these things? What would happen if I judo flipped it? And just, just forcing yourself to explore the oppositional approach to conventional wisdom in many cases has been just liberating. I mean, just one quick example from the book, but there's this guy named Vahit Atakin, who again is an everyday innovator. You've probably never heard of him. So Vahit was in the concrete business, not that glamorous. And concrete, it turns out, it's the second most used material on the planet, second only to water. Mm. And it's it's been made about the same way since the Roman Empire. It's really important and it's useful and such, but the problem is that it's terrible for the environment. It turns out 8% of the overall global emissions uh, is from the manufacturing of concrete. So back to Vahit in the concrete business. So Vahit is sitting on a bar stool one day having a beer. And he's staring at his beer and he looks at the fizz coming up in his beer, like so many of us have, and says, huh, why is my beer fizzy? Oh, CO2, carbon, wait a minute. And then he, he said, what if I did a judo flip? He said, wait, instead of using water to create concrete, and by the way, the, the water that's consumed creating concrete, they use 3 million Olympic swimming pool size uh, containers of water every year, of fresh water that's scarce mm. to make concrete. So he said, huh, what about a judo flip? If instead of using liquid in my beer, they use CO2, what if I use CO2 in making concrete? So he goes back and starts tinkering around with it, ends up starting a company called Solida Technologies. But basically, he, he's created carbon-eating concrete. So before ca carbon is, is emitted into the environment, it's instead permanently locked inside of his concrete. And it has a 70% reduction in concrete in, in carbon emissions. And so if you just do the math, you know, 8% of the world's carbon emissions, if this was rolled out globally, that would be over a 5% reduction in carbon emissions, which is like taking all the carbon away from the UK and Mexico and Poland and Italy and France. Crazy. Mm -hmm. All because some dude in a bar stool is looking at his beer. So again, to me, I just love the principle that we can all be creative. And one simple technique to get there is just think about what would it look like if you judo flipped it? Yeah, so true. And it's interesting how um, when we're grounded enough or in a moment where we're not forcing and, and having to think through the problem that the answers come, <laughs> you know, that we're like, you know, this is interesting. And can I apply this over here? Because it's, um, anytime I feel like people are trying to force creative uh, solutions or just creativity in general, or just something, anything, I always tell people like, take a step back and ground for a minute and like allow yourself to just breathe for a second before, instead of trying to force, um, you know, you've already put it out there that you're trying to find a solution. Uh, you allow, allow for the receiving to actually happen in, in some ways. Um, you know, and so it's interesting how, even in the story, I mean, he's here, he's having a beer and he's like, that's interesting. 
I wonder if I could try. And he wasn't even maybe even looking for that solution, but he, you know, the fact that it, it it came to him from just being you know kind of present basically is is really what I'm what I'm saying. Um, and how often do we find actually more innovation in being present? Such a great point. And you're exactly right. You know, when you're all tensed up and, you know, think about this, you, you want someone on your team to be creative. If you, if you say to them, Hey, um, you got five minutes, you better get the, the idea right. Go sit in a windowless <laughs> room with fluorescent lighting and no stimuli. Like, of course you're going to get terrible results. And so uh, you're right. It's uh, get back to conditions. You know, are we creating conditions that are safe, that are fluid, that are that, you know, the right stimulus to, to engender the creativity that we seek. I love it. I love it. Uh, question for you. How, how can everybody find out about the book? How can they connect with you online right now and, and all those things? Yeah. So if you, the best, simplest way is go to biglittlebreakthroughs.com. Um, you can learn about the book, but besides the book, there's tons of free stuff there. There's a free creativity assessment to take. There's tools, there's worksheets, there's downloads, all kinds of good stuff. It's all free. Check it out at biglittlebreakthroughs.com. And one thing real quickly about creativity, because again, it's so often misunderstood. It really is a learned skill. It's not a, a gift imbued right. by the gods. Right. So I like to think of creativity like your weight, not your height. So for me, I'm five, five on a good day. You know, I mean that, and, and that's not changing no matter how hard I try, I'm not going to be six, five, but my weight I can control based on nutrition and exercise and such. And creativity is just like that. Mm -hmm. So all of us can, can flex up. We can build the creative muscles. We, we, it's a skill that we all can learn and it doesn't take tons of effort. Just a little teeny bit of, bit of effort can, can go a disproportionately long way. Uh, I love that. You know, I, I, I tell people, uh, as I've learned and I continue to keep learning, um, the process isn't just in any one area, it's in all areas of our life, you know, and how do we build upon each step in that, you know, and that, you know, some people they'll just chase, uh, well, I want this financial outcome. I'm like, and then what about your health? What about your relationships? What about, <laughs> what about your mind? Like, you know, do you have any hobbies? Like cultivating each of these areas and embracing the process in each of those things, like you were talking about, even like with your body, well, you can control, you know, how your, the process of building upon it, just like with creativity. I want to ask you too, like, do you have anything coming up that's, you know, you want to share with everybody or anything unique that, I mean, obviously this book is, is, is uh, one of the biggest things going on right now with you, but anything else that you want to share? Well, I think the book launch is the biggest thing. You know, personally, I just, uh, I have four kids, uh, two older ones, uh, 23 and 21, and I have four-year-old twins. Wow. So I got you know, both sides of the spectrum. So I just love hanging out with my kiddos and, uh, you know, trying to teach them to play music and stuff. But uh, I, I love your whole premise that, that we're all in a process. And so, you know, you might look at someone like you or me who, who've achieved a certain level of commercial success, but it's not about like, oh, I, I achieved, like I, I got the gold ribbon or something. It's about the process. Yes. And I think that we're all in that process. I'm, I'm trying to work and grow and learn. And I know you are too. It's funny. I, I, I love famous quotes and there's many that I appreciate and adore. I only have one quote of my own that I share frequently. And the the quote is simply this, that someday a company, I said this as I was building my business, someday a company will come along and put us out of business. It might as well be us. <laughs> and so it's the notion of being sort of in this constant state of reinvention. But I think if you double click on that once, you can apply it personally too. So you might say someday someone's going to displace me as, as who I am, might as well be me. And so what I have coming mm. up isn't some giant glamorous, you know, thing. It's like, I'm trying to be a better person, a better dad, a better author, a better friend, uh, a better leader. And, and, and that's, doesn't maybe manifest in some glamorous material way, but I try to put myself out of business every six months. 
You know, like I hope that six months from now, I'm putting my current version out of business to be followed by a new version later. And again, it's not ego at all. It's, it's total humility. It's just that, you know, I'm trying to constantly push and, and challenge and grow and learn. And so that's to me is the best thing that I got coming up is the, the non-glamorous, uh, you know, sort of focus on the process. I think it's complete humility. Because, <laughs> because you're basically, and, and I, I agree, I, for me, uh, forever a student. So even when people say, oh, you know, you've done all this and this has all happened. And I say, I'm a baby in the game, you know? And they're like, what? I'm like, well, first of all, I mean, even the fact that I, I feel so young at 41 uh, and it really is relatively young. I'm like, I, I, you know, and I'm here for as long as, you know, the, my time is allowed here on earth. And I was like, but I'm forever a student and forever learning. I was like, so uh, the, the idea of, um, no, I need to put myself out of business every six months. How can I keep bettering and bettering and bettering the process, which comes from constant learning and growth? Uh, so I think it's complete humility on your part. And, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I, I, by the way, I, I, can't, I can't believe it's been an hour. I, I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, you know, thank you so much for, for sharing all this. And, and one of the things I want to tell you is it's a journey driven podcast. So you're welcome back on anytime. Uh, you know, things change so often and, and as do uh, both in, in business and in life. So, you know, any other topics you ever want to come back on and, and jam out on, you're more than welcome to come back on. I'm, I'm deeply grateful. Thank you so much for your leadership in the field and for making such a difference in people's lives. And you know, thanks for having me today. Seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hang back just one second as, as we, you know, um, uh, jump off here. But uh, I wanted to, everybody go check out uh, at Josh Linkner. You can find him on, on Insta. I already looked him up <laughs> for you guys, uh, but it'll also be in the show notes uh, at Josh Linkner, joshlinkner.com, L-I-N-K-N-E-R, Josh Linkner. Um, and the book, uh, you can find out about his book, Big Little Breakthroughs there, but you can also go to biglittlebreakthroughs.com as well. And, um, but reach out to him. Like I say this to you guys all the time that it's a very community driven place. Uh, I would just say, just be appropriate when you, <laughs> when you approach these people, just cause you know, time, energy, you know, all that stuff. Uh, and, uh, but these people, you know, are, we're all in a capacity of servant leader. We're all here to help. So please reach out. Um, you know, follow, subscribe, you know, ask questions if you have questions, right? We're, we're resources. Um, so again, for Josh Lingner being on the show and, and for myself, Matt Gottesman and, I, and Hustle Separately, I really, really, truly appreciate all of you guys. Thank you so much for all the ratings and reviews. You guys have no idea how much that means to me. And I always say it, apparently it means a lot to Apple because they like to expand the reach because of it. <laughs> so, you know, good old al algorithms. But most importantly, I love the feedback when you guys actually contact me and say, hey, this is what really resonated with me. I would love for you to expand on that topic. It's, it's massively huge for me because it, it allows me to understand what you guys are, are picking up on and what really means something to you. So thank you for all the constant feedback. Uh, again, for, for another great episode in the Hustle Let's Separately, we're out. We'll